The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Accessing State of Search Live from Europe. Welcome to the home of the latest search marketing news and views of the world. Welcome to the state of search. Our hosts scope the entire search marketing space from Berlin to Bucharest, London to Lisbon, the Silicon Valley, and beyond. Search marketers from around the world discuss the latest headlines and issues in search engine marketing, social media, and more. WebmasterRadio.fm presents State of Search with your hosts, Boss Vandenveld and Roy Hoiskies. So uh, we are running up uh, to SMX and we are talking today with uh, Danny Sullivan. It's a really big honor to have him uh, discuss some of the stuff which is going to be going on at SMX uh, with us. Hi, Danny. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for uh, uh, making the time to do this uh, talk. Um, speak, speaking of time, there's one thing I've always wanted to ask you, and, and I know that um, I was in, in New York recently talking to some people, and they, they have the same question, actually. Um, uh, if you talk about time, where on earth do you find all the time to do all the stuff, to do all the stuff you do? <laughs> Uh, well, I actually I, I have a great staff of people, so <laughs> that that helps a lot more than way back when I used to be like sort of the solo person. Um, uh, but I don't know. I, I I write fairly quickly, so I can move from one piece to the other fairly fairly fast. And uh, sometimes I probably work a bit too much, I suppose. Uh, but uh, <laughs> somehow I make it all fit in, I suppose. The other thing is, I you know, there's always things that you want to do that you can't get to, and you just sort of learn. Well, you're not you're not going to get to anything. It's it's funny from my perspective. I never feel like I have enough time to get into all the stuff I want to. <laughs> Uh, well, well, the question is also, of, of course, you mentioned the writing stuff. What many people wonder that um, if something comes out and within, well, it seems minutes, but it's not. It is not minutes, of course. But you have lengthy articles about latest development stuff, and, and just keeping up with those developments takes time. Let alone write about it. So, how do you keep up? Well, it, you know, it depends on what's happening. In a lot of cases, if there's something that's going on with Google or Bing, um, we may be pre-briefed about it. And that's fairly common, you know, like with the gadget industry. For example, today, um, the Lumia 900 has long reviews from Walter Mossberg and um, from, uh, say, over at The Verge, right? And, and that didn't just suddenly happen. They didn't all just get their phones this morning and then they wrote it. They've been shipped out review devices and they've had time to look at that and then they pick up with it. Um, and it makes sense for them to do that because they've been covering these tech spaces for so long or the gadget spaces. And, you know, for us, search is our gadget. You know, when there's a new search release, we are the, the, the search reporters that are going to take the time to go through there and look at the stuff. And so that's one of the reasons why we'll tend to be included um, with some of the other technology publications if there are uh, pre-briefings that go on. Now, in other cases, you know, it, it's just a matter that the news will break um, and, and there's no sort of advanced warning. And we just jump on it because that's our job. <laughs> so, you know, for us, it's get in there, understand what's going on and explain it for everybody. Um, um, you know, to the degree that we can add value in doing that. 
Yeah, but then you you have a lot of experience in writing, so that that makes that you can really do a quick write up about a uh, a topic which is relatively new. Right. I mean, you know, when we come into it, of course, you know, a lot of times we already know what the um you know, we we know a lot of the background of things. Um, mm. An example is like with the Google Glasses that happened today that were being announced. Um, you know, they made the announcement. We've already kind of covered that there have been these sorts of rumors. Um, coming up with something fairly quickly to, to pass that along is pretty straightforward. Mm. Does that also mean you get like um, a preview of some of the developments that Google or Bing are, are rolling out? Uh, before other others do. So, do you, did you see Search Plus Your World before others, for example? Oh yeah, um, I had seen Search Plus Your World in one form about nine months before it was released, um, and then when it came out for the general release, where it was going to go out to everybody, um, I think I was probably one of about ten technology or or media reporters that that had been involved. With, with reporting on it, mm. you know, that we had had access to it, we had had the briefing deck so we could see how it was sort of operating. Um, so it just really depends on, on what's, you know, what's in development and whether or not, uh, you know, Google or Bing want to share something in advance. Mm. So how, how difficult is, to keep your, is it to keep your mouth shut? Uh, well, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, if you, if, if you're allowed to see something before it's generally released, and then you start talking about it, you're not going to be allowed to see things before they're generally released in the yeah, future. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it would be to. easy to jump in and, and go through it, I suppose, and have a big giant scoop if, you know, if my goal was to get in a big giant scoop just once. Um, my goal in writing is not necessarily to break news. Um, there's there's too many places that news will break. Um, I don't kind of look at us as as the place that's going to break the the latest stories on on search the second it happens. Mm-hmm. I think the the bigger challenge and the more important thing for us to do is to fully explain things that are happening yes. and why you should care, why you shouldn't care, and so on. And and that's why you know for me when you have a pre briefing or whatever, it's important because it gives you the chance to go through and look at it and actually use a product and then perhaps not come out with a, hey, they've got a new improvement. I mean Google always rolls out things and sometimes you see like Google has new improvements. Sometimes we'll make that mistake in saying it ourselves and the reality is they're not new improvements, they're new features. Mm-hmm. Whether they're improvements or not depends on how they actually play out. And that's part of what you're trying to um, you know you're trying to see when you look at this sort of stuff hmm. about uh, I think it was about six or seven years ago I spoke to Kara Swisher and uh, I told her that I was uh, going to start writing about or, or start I, I was writing about search and then she gave me one advice which was uh, go have lunch that, that was her entire advice just go have lunch and talk to people that way you get to know stuff is, is that the best advice you can give uh, somebody writing uh, about any topic, or is, is is there another advice you would give young startup writers? I think it depends on the topic you're writing about um, and the space that you're in. Um, you know, if your goal is to go out and try to break news, you you want to be the, the all things D, or you want to be the tech crunch, or you want to be the Panda Daily, or whatever, you want to have all the latest stories, mm-hmm. then yeah, you probably want to build up sources, either by connecting with people virtually, so they're passing on information to you, or, you know, connecting with them uh, in, in, in person. But I think that, um, I think that, you know, the the bigger issue is more that you're distinguishing yourself in some ways. That you're um, 
that you're writing about something unique or you're coming into a different angle or that you're exploring a topic in a way that other people aren't already doing and in, in a way that's got recognized value. Mm. And I, I think that's more important. So be right? different. Because yeah, but not just be different, but but be good, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, it's easy to be different. Um, That's true. You know, and it's easy to take. I mean, you know, Business Insider is a classic example of this, right? Where they can be different about any story that other people have actually done the reporting on by grabbing a a, a nugget out of that story and putting a different headline on it, and they've built an entire business around that. Mm-hmm. And they have their own reporting as well, but they, you know, they're they're really really good at that sort of thing. Um, so potentially you could do that. Um, potentially you can make a business about it, um, but I don't know that that's necessarily being good either. <laughs> um, you know, for, for me, I'd, I'd far rather be, um, you know, just coming at stories in an angle that people aren't expecting or providing, uh, filling the gap that is often there. Sure. Um, adding, you know, the, the Google Glasses story today, right? Yes. You know, here it was like you, you, you would read the sto- some of the stories and it's like, here, here are the prototypes, we don't know that those are the prototypes. We just know that there's some design specs that they put out there. Mm-hmm. Look at how great these glasses are. And you look at this video and this guy's walking around and he's making appointments and he's taking and talking to himself. And actually, that's just a concept video. And that actually needs to be explained. And as you start looking at some of the other reporting that's going on out there, you see the New York Times has talked to somebody who said that, oh, they have the glasses and they, you know, they've used them taking pictures by pushing a button, which is not what the video shows. So it's like, that's an important thing to perhaps point out so mm. so that's different um you talk about okay the industry that's different uh one of the uh, strange things about being in the online industry is that next to being a journalist you're also a public figure within that industry uh, how difficult is that to combine um you know within the industry sure you're a public figure <laughs> outside the industry you're nobody <laughs> and that's not even saying you're that much within the industry um it's funny because we you know the industry itself can be defined in various ways. I encounter people who, you know, say that they do marketing or say they do SEO who who don't know our site or who don't know some of the writing that they've done. So the industry is actually much larger than I think some of the people who talk about what the industry is actually you know, understand it to be. Yeah. There's, a, there's a whole world of people out there who get information in all sorts of different ways. But sure, there, there, there are people who follow me and, and, you know, comment on me. And that's not... I mean, there's nothing really that much to it that I, I find. Uh, you know, there, I think the hardest thing is that, um, you know, at times people who disagree with you on a view will interact with you online in a way that they would never interact with people in real life. Mm. You know, and I, that, that's not disappointing for me. That's just disappointing for anybody. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like you should act online the way you would act as if you were talking to the person face-to-face. Yes. And so if you're not going to walk up to somebody and start screaming profanity at them or, or doing something or not having a, an, a conversation or whatever with them, then why would you do that online? Yeah. And the reason, of course, you do it online because it's easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're also like, when I said public figure, um, uh, you're a journalist, so you want to be impartial, but you get close to people from uh, everywhere in the industry. So it's also your image of uh, remaining impartial 
So I'm not trying to be impartial, and in fact, okay. nobody is impartial. And I, I, I dislike people who assume that, oh, I'm reading something that's unbiased, or I'm reading something, you know, I, I go to the New York Times because I get unbiased coverage. It's like, you don't get unbiased coverage at the New York Times. There's no such thing as unbiased coverage. The mere decision on whether or not a story should be covered or not implies some bias on the point of view of the reporter who decides if it's important or not based on all their kinds of makeups. So what I'm trying to do is not be, say, unbiased in my reporting. I'm trying to be fair. Hmm. You know, it doesn't mean, it, it sounds, that doesn't mean, of course, that I, I don't want to be unbiased in the sense that I don't want to just be writing articles, for instance, that make you think, oh, he just loves Google and everything that happens <laughs> about Google. He's just biased no matter what they do. But what I'm trying to say is I want to write things that I think are actually fair that help you understand it. And there are things that Google does, and I like a lot of people at Google, and you know, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And they'll do stuff sometimes, and I'll think, okay, that kind of sucks. And I'm going to say why it sucks. And I'm going to tell you why it sucks, not because I hate Google, or I'm biased against Google, but because I just disagree with what's happening, and I'll be fair about why happen, you know, why I'm saying it. That I, I won't say something that I wouldn't be afraid of telling somebody who was at Google themselves. This is this is what's wrong. This okay. is why I disagree with it. Okay, um, I want to get into, into into search a little bit. Um, um, simple question: Is search changing? Oh yeah, search is changing <laughs> like every month, <laughs> yeah. every day maybe. Uh, we yeah, now, we now have the glasses. Is that the future of search, or, or where do you think it's heading? Well, it's interesting. Whenever there's a story that happens, because we have both uh, search engine land and marketing land now, and you know, marketing land is so that we're supposed to be going able to get more broadly beyond search. To whereas we really want search engine land to keep doing what it's been doing and stay focused on search. So anytime there's a story, we think. Now, is that really more search-like, or is that more general? And I looked at those glasses, and I thought, this is a search engine land story, because it really is search-like. It, it really is providing you information and helping you locate stuff and helping you find uh, material. And so, yeah, that's definitely a future of search. If, you, if these glasses actually happen, you're going to have to understand as a search marketer, where's the information coming from when somebody makes a request to them? Probably could be coming from Google, right? So your your life is a little easier than that. Mm. But it's very similar, like with Siri. You know, Siri is a a spoken version of these glasses. And as a search marketer, you have to understand. Well, when I put in a request to Siri, what's it doing? Well, in some cases, it's kicking over to local search results, which in the U.S. are coming from Yelp. Okay, then if I'm concerned about being lifted in local results through Siri, I need to understand Yelp, and I need to make sure I'm spending the time that it takes to be doing well there, and that's all search marketing activity. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you take, a, a, for example, Search Plus Your World, that is based a lot on personalization. Uh, if you look at these glasses, what we're seeing, the, uh, uh, the project glass, uh, that, that's also really personal. Um, is that where, um, where everything's heading? Just go personal? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, personalization has been the, the, the new normal since 2009 at Google. Mm -hmm. It's been that way since, I think, 2010 at uh, Bing, where, you know, your results are personalized regardless of whatever you do. Um, there, there aren't normal results, and, and people who keep talking about, well, I'm looking at the normal results, and I can do this as well, it, it's still a case of, well, actually, you're not looking at the normal results. Just your geography changes the results. I, I can 
get in my car and I can drive, you know, 10 kilometers away, and I am going to get different results from doing the same search of, of some kinds of things, especially if they're local-oriented. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, personalization is the future. Personalization is actually the reality now. Yeah. And um, if, if you look at personalization, there's, there's the issue of privacy, which uh, a lot of people think uh, that that is going to be a major issue. Uh, you discussed on uh, on this week in Google last week, uh, uh, well, the evil status of Google, so to speak. I don't want to repeat that entire conversation, but is there a general threat of privacy? You think privacy issues? Of course. I mean, anytime you gather personal information, there's there's the potential for privacy problems that come along with it. Um, I think it's important to decide what's our balance with that. And I think our getting that balance and what we find acceptable and how companies make use of that data varies. Um, your credit card that you use has a record of all your purchases that go back for, like in my case, 25 years. I've had the same credit card, right? Some of that information is potentially personal, right? You know, you can find hotels that I like to stay at. You can find places that I like to go to. And... I don't have a way to delete all those purchases. I don't have any access to my dashboard and, and to tell the company, hey, you know what, I don't want all that stuff to be out there anymore. Well, is that a privacy issue or not? I mean, since when did our transactions become public data or semi-public data or data that a company should be able to keep for a, a longer period of time? I have never heard the EU talk about that we ought to have credit card data limited to 18 months in the way that they talk about search data, right? Hmm. You know, and, and that's because we just kind of accept that. We understand why a credit card company may want to keep that data for that long. Is, um, is, is, but, that, you know, is that maybe something where uh, we, as, as uh, people who talk about search, come in and should explain more about what, what's actually going on instead of people getting scared by uh, people just saying, oh, that's going to kill privacy? Yeah, I mean, I think it is helpful. I think that, for example, we had a survey that the, the Pew Internet group did here in the U.S. where they asked people, do you think we should have personalized search? And, you know, it was like the vast majority didn't like it and, mm -hmm. and you know, thought it was a problem. But, you know, they aren't being told what it is, right? If I, if I said to you, do you think that everybody in the same, you know, do you think people in the United States and the UK, in the United Kingdom should say, see the same search results when they do a search for football, when football is two different things? in these countries. Yeah. Most people would say no. Yeah. And then if I ask you, do you think it's okay for the search engines to look at your location and change those results? I think most people would say yes, that's okay. Yeah. And then if I said, if you have searched for travel and then you search for a company, do you think it makes sense and, and it's fair enough for the search engine to look at what you previously searched for to decide that maybe there's a better way of giving you more quality results? Yes. People would probably say yes. If you've just searched on Google for, you know, roller skating video videos and now you go over to YouTube do you think it's okay for YouTube which is owned by Google to understand that you just search for this at Google and maybe suggest some of those things to you oh okay but you know that's not the way the <laughs> questions go out no um, and, and, and so I think it's really important that you know most of that is down to Google. Most of that is, you know, it ought to be down to Bing as well, but it's really Google that takes the heat for it. And most of it is about down to them trying to explain that the reasons why um, that that this kind of personalization happens. The problem is that Google really flubbed it with their privacy change. They moved to a privacy policy that allows for sharing, just like just like Facebook and just like Microsoft. 
um, without communicating really well that this is kind of an industry norm. And more important, that they didn't kind of communicate the limitations that you have on that sort of stuff. So you got these articles where people are like, well, I can't opt out. Now Google knows all my search history, and they'll do whatever they want with it, and I can't opt out. Right? <laughs> I remember headlines about this sort of thing, right? Like yeah. in the Wall Street and the Washington Post, I saw a headline like that. Of course you can opt out. You don't even have to have search history on. Yeah. But they don't explain that very well. Well, is is that just Google? Because um, I've had uh, the same sort of issue here in Holland, where uh, something ha- something was written about Google and about uh, this kind of stuff, um, and and they were saying, "Oh, Google's going to change stuff," and uh, and then they actually printed it in the in the paper version of of the newspaper. And on that day, I contacted the newspaper saying, uh, "Listen, guys, you guys have it all wrong. Uh, what you just printed is you cop- copied some website in the U.S. and 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 based on that, you're just." putting this on uh, in the newspaper why didn't you call me or somebody else who is in the industry and knows about this stuff so isn't there a responsibility for the newspapers and 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 people who who write about that stuff also oh yeah there's obviously a responsibility for that um unfortunately um you know journalists don't tend to do that you know <laughs> not, not all of them but you know you have bad journalism just like you have bad of all sorts of things yeah. um you know your typical reporter who may be covering this probably is not assigned to being covered google much less privacy issues in general mm-hmm. so they don't really understand some of the details that are out there and you know and they're not going to be spending the time on it right it's not what they're they're being paid to do you know for spend a day or two or three on this sort of thing it's like Cover this story quickly today. You've got another story you're going to be covering tomorrow. Mm. You know, if you're talking about what somebody might be doing in in some of the smaller publications that are out there, um, but even in the bigger publications that they may have uh, multiple things that they're trying to cover, so they just may not be doing the drill down into this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's difficult, and and you know, there's an opportunity, I suppose, for marketers to go through and and talk about those sorts of things and and explain it a bit more to people, you know, if if the journalists want to want to tap into them, yeah. but you know, the privacy mess that happened with what Google did, I thought that a big chunk of that could have been prevented if they had been clearer about it from the start. Mm-hmm. What what I tried to explain um, is that if I go back to like when the um, when the U.S. formed its constitution. So they formed a new constitution, effectively forming a new government for the United States, and it outlined, you know, all these rights that the government had. Just like when Google announced their new privacy policy, they outlined all these rights that Google had, including the right to share information in ways it didn't have before. In the U.S., that made a lot of people nervous. They didn't want the government to have unlimited rights. They wanted the government to have very limited rights. And so they demanded that there would be a number of amendments put to the Constitution at the same time. They have ten amendments that all came together, which were known as the Bill of Rights. And that was unveiled along with the Constitution. And it's that Bill of Rights that has the things that, you know, many people outside the U.S. have even heard of. You know, the, the Fourth Amendment that, you know, you have the, the right to, oh, God, now get my amendments mixed up. The Fourth <laughs> Amendment right to bear arms. But, um, you know, the First Amendment right to freedom of speech, freedom of religion, yeah. um, those sorts of things. Actually, God, now I'm going to be terrible. I have to look up the Fourth Amendment because I don't know if it's <laughs> bear arms or freedom of religion. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, unreasonable searches and seizures. So yeah. you have a right against, you know, you, a, a right against uh, unreasonable searches and seizures. So, but the point was that we that, that those things came out together, and it was designed to say, look, we need a better way of doing our governance. But we are also understanding that you 
don't want us getting into everything that you do. Therefore, um, we're going to show you these ways we're limited. Google unveiled a new constitution and failed to unveil a bill of rights to go with it. Yeah. They failed to explain clearly how you would limit them in all sorts of ways. And, that, and, and by not doing that, that caused a lot of this worry you know, to, to kind of happen. So stick with us, and we'll be right back. So, Brasco, can you take us to the commercials? State of Search returns to cover the world of search marketing after we thank our sponsors. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com. In 500 yards, C-P-A Way will be on your right. You have reached your destination. On the interstate of internet marketing, C-P-A Way helps you monetize the way. No matter which direction you're heading, C-P-A Way is your route to low-risk revenue. Advertisers, we have paved the way to delivering revenue channels that will meet and exceed your expectations. Publishers, we monitor and manage your campaigns to bring you the most revenue possible. Publishers can feel secure to leverage direct offers, while advertisers can find safety, offering their most valued campaigns. The road to trust, respect, integrity, and honor is just ahead at cpaway.com. Drop into the Webmaster chat room. Webmasterradio.fm. Clothing is optional. Webmasterradio.fm. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. You're listening to State of Search on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are your hosts. Hi, and we're back after the break on uh, WebmasterRadio.fm. We are talking today with Danny Sullivan. Well, recently, there's also been a lot of talk um, <coughs> about um, Facebook and search. They're updating their own search, their internal search. Uh, do you think that Facebook could potentially someday be a Google competitor on search. So not on social networking, but on search. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think for a variety of reasons. Um, I think the most important reason is that I think that Facebook understands that social is an incredibly hard, difficult challenge to get right. And that if it tried to go off into some other areas, such as building a search engine, that it is um, going to mess up where it's ahead. 
Okay. I, I, you know, and, and I've seen Mark Zuckerberg talk about these sorts of things, you know, in terms of staying focused and so on. And I, I think that's part of why you see them not having done this for so long. And if they would buy, for example, Yahoo? Well, there's nothing to buy at Yahoo. I mean, what are they going to buy? <laughs> or or, or Bing, for, for that matter. If they, well, if they, if they would buy a so, different search engine. So a couple of things. So they, you know, that, that number one reason why I don't think they do it is because it's incredibly hard. Um, secondly, that they don't have that kind of activity. People are not going to Facebook and searching the web. They're going to Facebook and they're searching for other people. That's, mm. the, that's like what like more than 90% of the people who do there. Now, I think there are ways you can improve it. I think that there are people who go to Facebook who think, hey, I would love to see what people are saying on a particular topic. And Facebook is woefully bad on giving you that kind of a rundown. But I also think that Facebook views search as the newsfeed. And that really, for Facebook, search is more discovery. That if there's something that they think you're interested in, they want to anticipate that and get it into your news feed without you actually having to do a search. Yeah. They find that valuable, and I think that's the effort that they're putting into it. Now, could they, you know, you could, you could say, well, they should stay focused, but at the same time, you've got Google pushing into the social area. So maybe they really do need to have a search engine to stay competitive and, and to push back against Google. Maybe they're going to be making the same mistake that Google made by not getting a good social network up and going at the very beginning. Um, and if that's the case, and if you believe it, um, potentially they could buy Bing, and that would give them a very, very good search engine to use. And yes, I think they could be competitive with Google. Um, but they would have to get Bing, they would have to get all the technology that goes with it, and it would be an expensive proposition. I mean, you know, they're going to get a lot of money from their IPO, so maybe they, they can do it. Uh, but that also assumes that Microsoft wants to sell it, yeah. right? And I don't know that Microsoft wants this to sell Bing because it thinks Facebook wants to compete with Google. Mm. Because that also means now Facebook is competing with Microsoft, and Microsoft really does want to be out there mm. um, and, and staying in that space. Um, and in fact, it perhaps becomes even more important for Microsoft because it's not like Microsoft is going to launch their own social network now. Huh. You know, I mean, they've got Windows. I mean, they've got um, they've got Xbox, which actually is a very big social network in and of its own. But they don't. You know, for all the mocking that Google takes over Google Plus, they have a much more viable social network to fa compete against with Facebook than Microsoft does. So um, I, I just don't think that they're likely to do it. So, so uh, speaking of Bing um, um, and Google and competitors, um, I think in, in Europe we all agree that we need a competitor for Google, and Bing and Yahoo are really small here. Um, how do you look at um, the current status of Bing and Yahoo and, and competing against Google? Well, I mean, it's funny, I tweeted something yesterday from 2009. It was my search eulogy for Yahoo. And this was back when they said that they weren't going to, you know, they were going to do a deal with Microsoft. And, and once they said that, once they said they were going to do the deal and outsource it, I was done. In, in the sense of the idea that Yahoo was going to continue on as a major search player. And, and, and I think that's proving right. Yes. Um, you know, they've continued to lose their market share. They um, have not proven that you can build a great search engine without owning the search technology as well. Um, and with the current round of layoffs, we're still waiting to see what happens, but it, it, it doesn't sound like you're going to be spending even more money to try to, to prop up a search space that you haven't succeeded in with so far. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're just going to be fading away. I think they're going to drop down to sort of a, a, a terminal uh, velocity, as I like to call it, for search engines, where you drop down to a level that you don't drop any further. Ask, for example, is this kind of case where, you know, they get down to their 2% or whatever, and 
they're not going to lose more than that, and they've cut back things to the degree that it makes sense to keep it going, so they're probably you know, still making money off of it, but they're just not going to be a major player. Hmm. So I think Yahoo is going to be out of it. I think that Bing will uh, grow, but grow primarily at the share it can take away from people who need to use Yahoo. Okay. And now, there's a chance that if public concerns about Google really, really do grow, then Bing has an opportunity there because, you know, it, it, it's really the only alternative you have to, to Google in a lot of places, you know, with the exception of, you know, China and Russia and a few other countries, South Korea. Because do you, how do you look at Baidu and, and Yandex? Baidu is now going to Brazil um, because that's a big market. Uh, Yandex is, is slowly uh, extending their reach in, into Europe. Um, are those potential competitors? There's, there's a potential, there's an opportunity perhaps in Europe for Yandex to come in um, and, and perhaps do well. Although, you know, it's still going to be facing even more of a challenge than, than Bing has, right? Because you don't just get people to change. Even if you have good results, people don't necessarily change their habits unless there's something really wrong with what they're already using. Mm. So, I, yeah, I can see an opportunity for Yandex in Europe, um, but I think it would be difficult. Mm. Now, you know, and, and as for, for Baidu, um, yeah, maybe Baidu has opportunities in, in some select countries, um, but it's not going to kick out Google, I don't think, in any of the major Western countries. I think in the end, you know, if you're thinking, I don't want to use Google because I'm worried about what Google is, I don't know that I necessarily want to use a search engine that's based out of China um, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, has been happy to co cooperate with the Chinese censorship and that in, in, in large respect has benefited from the Chinese government deciding, hey, we don't like Google, so we're going to favor Baidu. I, yeah. I just don't see that as being your winner. <laughs> no. um, so we, we touched uh, on the subject of, of Europe. Um, we're talking also because of SMX London, which is coming up. Um, you, of course, lived in the UK for, for quite a while. Um, I don't think you've ever really gone back to an SMX in London since, have you? No, this will be my first one since the first time back since the first time we've had it. Okay, so how how does that feel? Is it is is it while well, I'm doing another SMX or is this a special one? I uh, know it'll be special. I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Um, you know, it's it's been a while since I've been back in the UK. You know, for for our search conference, mm -hmm. and I really wanted to get back in. And um, you know, I what I've been trying to do is go to different conferences that we have in different parts of the world. So I've been to, you know, I was in the one that we did in in the UK. I went to uh, the one that we had in Toronto. Then we went to the Australian one. And then last year I went back to the Australian one. And I'm trying to rotate them around so that I'm, you know, getting a feel for what's happening in the different countries and getting a chance to talk to people in different places, but without also going crazy on the travel. Because <laughs> um, the, the hard thing for me was after you know, being in the UK for 10 years or 12 years, um, I did a lot of travel, <laughs> a lot of travel. I was, you know, I virgin gold. I got to go into the lounge. It was all great. I got to know Heathrow as if it was like another, another place to be. Uh, but it's exhausting. And so I've just really tried to limit that as much and, um, you know, kind of pick and, and spread things out a bit more. Have you, have you um, since you're back in the, in the U.S., have you kept track of what the developments were in Europe on, on search? Um, to some degree, um, that, that I can through our coverage, and we try to cover it through Search Engine Land as well, um, a lot of it really 
hasn't seemed to me to be that much of a difference, uh, with the exception that Google seems to be much more dominant uh, there than than it is in the U.S. You know, I, I can see people questioning even further why should I even bother with Bing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, um, you know, it's also been that I've mostly been watching what's been going on with the EU in terms of back again about Google and what should be happening there and some of the antitrust stuff that's happening, mm-hmm. um, where. I think the EU is far more likely to try to take some action against Google than probably the U.S. will on antitrust grounds, but we'll see. Because one of the major differences we see between U.S. and the rest of Europe, and less difference U.S.-U.K. for that matter, because it's English, in English language, is that both Microsoft and Google tend to roll out stuff first in the U.S., then they have enough user base there to test stuff out, and then it goes to other English-speaking countries, and only then it goes to the rest of Europe. Which, if you take, for example, Holland, uh, has the issue that um, a lot of people here look at uh, what's going on in the U.S. and where people get banned for, for example. And then if they uh, figure out, okay, in the U.S. you get banned for that, we're going to try that here, and then you don't get banned for it. So tactics here might be different, in a way, as search tactics. Um, uh, Do you think that is going to be an issue for, for example, Google in the future? Well, I think that um, th- I think the difference between Europe and the U.S. is, is similar in what you've described. That that black hat tactics have tended to work a little bit longer mm-hmm. on the other side of the Atlantic, and also, um, you know, in in some degrees, sometimes have been seen as business as usual. Um, I remember once being at a search conference, not a search marketing conference, just a general uh, librarian conference. And on one side of the hallway was the Ink to Me booth, and on the other side of the hallway was a company that did cloaking. But it w- they, and they had a booth about it, and that's what they said: <laughs> "This is our service." And and because they didn't view in Europe cloaking as a bad thing. And it was just sort of, yeah, search engines want targeted content, we deliver the targeted content. What's what's the problem with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, you have had these things, and then I think you had Google for a long period of time really just not attending to stuff you know, in Europe, that they didn't have a webmaster team based out of there. They didn't have people who speak, spoke the different languages. And so, you know, I think that if you see things are working, then you wonder, well, why... Why am I going to hold back? Why, yep. why should I be doing this if this other stuff is egregious and I can clearly see it happening? Um, I think the um, I think the answer remains that um, you know the reason you probably shouldn't is because you probably are going to get caught down the line. It may take longer, but then what you've done is you've built everything around something that probably isn't going to last for you. Um, it's, it's frustrating on the U.S. side, though, too, because we, I just did a whole piece about this on Google's over-optimization penalty that they said is going to be coming. And I, and I said, yeah, that's just what we need, another optimization. That's what we need, another penalty, when we have these other penalties that we're supposed to have enforced that don't get enforced, right? <laughs> it is not difficult to find people who are still succeeding with blog spam and forum spam and all this other stuff that's out there. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I I can definitely see that there are those those differences, and and I've, I've I've seen that sort of thing historically. But what we've also seen historically is that you kind of you you, you kind of get hit down the line anyway. Yeah. Um, so uh, SMX London, um, what are your expectations? Is it a different one from other SMXs? 
Um, it's different in the sense that we've um, opened it up to uh, running the advanced track now um, alongside a more general track so that we wanted to make sure that we were able to better uh, accommodate people who weren't as advanced but who were looking for some good um, search marketing advice as well. And that seems to have gone very well. The, the attendance last I heard was, was much higher, you know, the, the signups already than we've had for previous years. And it, it just felt like the right time for the show to expand and go out that way. Uh, and so we're looking forward to running it this year, and then we look forward to you know seeing how it goes for the following year. Do we add on another track? Or do we add on another day, and so on? Hmm. What, what what kind of topics cannot be left out on a conference like SMX? Well, in in Europe, you can't leave out you know um, you can't leave out things like. Um, the, the international aspects, um, the, you know, the, the doing the multilingual and stuff like that, which is one reason why it's great that we've got the uh, International Search Summit that's going along with it, right? Yeah. Because, um, because, uh, because it allows us to then explore some of the other topics on, on the other two days of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that when we were looking through that we thought were important... Um, you know, we felt it was important to look at the not provided issues to come back and talk about what's been going on with schema and authorship because that rich media stuff is is becoming so important now and so much more used. In fact, I did a talk yesterday where I was explaining how I had these generations of search, search 1.0 on the page, search 2.0 off the page rankings, and 3.0 was using vertical search, and 4.0 was personalized to social search. And somebody said to me, well, do you think that... Um, you know, this use of rich metadata and everything, sort of search 5.0. And I thought, yeah, actually, that's great. I think I'll steal that uh, <laughs> because we're getting these kinds of options that are coming in. Um, obviously, you have to spend a lot of time talking about what's going on in the social space and how that's impacting with the uh, search because, you know, it's just being used so much, especially the way Google Plus is being tapped into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, you know, revisiting things. I think one of the big changes when you talk about paid search has been uh, the retargeting and remarketing and the ability to, to follow people around with the ads based on what they've searched for and so on. I, you know, it's just been such a big developing area. So those are some of the topics, and we, we cover all of them. Is, is there one session you're particularly looking forward to? The keynote with Amit Singhal. <laughs> he, <laughs> you're interviewing um, him, or is he, is he doing a talk? No, I'll be interviewing him. Um, he... You know, he's never really been interviewed on search at a search conference before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he talked at Webmaster World last year and, and sort of it was more q and I'm looking forward to doing sort of a, a sit-down interview with him. I did a similar thing for the Churchill Club in the U.S. Uh, last year where I had him and Matt Cutts and Ben Gomes. Um, but, you know, I, I keep joking that, like... Um, you know, people know Matt Cutts, right? And they say, yeah, you know Matt Cutts, you think he's really smart. And I'm like, but a bit smarter than Matt. <laughs> I don't really mean it like that. But what I mean is, you know, Matt's job is uh, dealing with web spam. And, of course, he understands a whole lot of webmaster issues. And he obviously understands a whole lot of things about how their search algorithm works. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Amit owns the search algorithm. That is his job, is Google search results and, you know, making that product great. So I just think having him uh, be out there is just a wonderful opportunity. And, you know, and it's it's something that's going to happen out in London. That won't be happening at the U.S. show. So it's, I think, a real treat for people to, um, you know, get out there and and see him and hear him. It's it's a really unique opportunity. It definitely is. Uh, Danny, I want to thank you very much. It's been a a longer talk than I expected it to be, but... uh, we had a lot of uh, information from you. I'm really looking forward to SMX uh, uh, London. Um, of, we will, of course, be there. And uh, looking forward to uh, finally meet you in person. 
because that we haven't met in person yet. So yeah. <laughs> looking forward to that. Oh, well, thanks for all the great questions. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You can find more information on stateofsearch.com where we'll be covering all of SMX London 2012 and a lot more. So head over to stateofsearch.com 